that book, he talks about his great-grandfather and his grandfather. So his great-grandfather in the 1920s lived in inner-city Chicago. He worked at the YMCA, the Young Man Christians Association, which in those days was very much built around helping young men who were in times of need. And he used to open the door for people who were coming in to the inner-city at Chicago YMCA in the 1920s. His name was Horace Peach. Now, Horace was well-respected, and the thing about it was Horace was offered other jobs. People thought he should be elevated to another position, but Horace wanted the job and the privilege of being the first person people with needs would see when they came to the YMCA. He was offered jobs in an office, but he wanted to be at the door so that he could share God's love with those people. Horace knew that it did not matter if the world considered you important. In the 1970s, Horace's son, who was called Robert, worked in the Sears Tower in Chicago. At the time, I remember, I, I, we went through Chicago when I was a child, and it was the biggest building in the world at the time. And, and Horace's son, Robert, lived, or didn't live, he worked in a prime office in the Sears Tower. He was to do with um, regulation of material, and he even wrote books on the topic. He was considered a top man, essential to the company, with a big office. But Robert had learned from his father that it didn't matter what the world said about you, that God uses ordinary things. And so Robert, despite his big job, he chose to live in an area so he could be close to his church that was quite deprived. He lived in an ordinary house despite his big income. The IRS, the tax people, they, they audited him because they couldn't understand how he would give so much of his money away. They thought he was laundering his money. He didn't care. And his home was an open home where many people sought refuge. Horace the great-grandfather of Seth Lewis, knew that it didn't matter what the world thought of you. It's okay to be ordinary. Robert, his son, sought out ordinariness in order to be used by God. And that's what we see in this passage. I've just put up a picture here with the, the verses that we're focusing in on. The message of the meeting this morning, the message of the sermon this morning is this. People look at the temple that they're building and it seems unspectacular. And they're tempted to be discouraged. But God says to him, I use ordinary things to bring about my glory. And that surely is good news for us because are we not ordinary people? And God wants to do extraordinary things in and through us. That is always being his way. The first thing I want to say, as usual I have three points, is don't worry if you feel like you're living in ordinary days. 
You might notice when the passage was being read by Precious that these verses often root us in actual history. It tells you the date and the month, and, and you've got to look up a commentary to find out what that is in our terms. It was the 17th of October, 520 BC. The people have been working on the temple for four weeks. And now God speaks to them through Haggai. And he gives them three questions. First question, who saw the former glory? In other words, there are people who were living, they were in their 70s or above, and they remember the old temple. They remember Solomon's temple, which had been destroyed by the Babylonians 66 years earlier. And he says, who remembers that temple? The, the older people there would remember it. How does this temple that you're building look like now? Does it seem like nothing? And it seems like nothing to them. You see, they remember the glory of the old temple, Solomon's temple. And now they look at what they're building four weeks in, and it looks nothing like the glory of Solomon's temple. And they could be discouraged. They could think, well, this is so insignificant. Our work is so insignificant compared to what went before. But he's saying, don't be discouraged. Around this same time, the prophet Zechariah also spoke to the people. And at one stage, he says to them, do not despise the day of small things. You see, we might feel like we're living in a day of small things. Some of you will remember, even in this city, a time when more people were becoming Christians. Some of you will have heard of times where many people were becoming Christians. And I have to admit, I want to live in those times. I remember growing up at one stage in Cork around a Bible study that my parents were involved with, and a number of people, there seemed to be a move of God there, and I want to experience that. I want to live at times where we see many of our friends become Christians, but at the same time, Zechariah says, around this time, do not despise the day of small things. So God is still working. God is still working even today. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He is building his church. Who knows what God is doing through these small days that will affect the building of his kingdom? Do not despise them. Do not be discouraged. The second thing is do not worry when you feel weak. You know, the call of being a Christian is a big call. We're ambassadors for Jesus Christ. It's a big call. It's a big undertaking. I think that you should all, including myself, should feel in some ways inadequate. A friend of mine put up on Facebook, he's a preacher, he said he never gets into the pulpit feeling adequate for the task, and he hopes he never will. You know, we're as Christians given a task that's well beyond us. 
And, and here he says to the people, beginning at verse 4, he reminds them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I am with you. He reminds them of the promise that was made when they were coming out of Egypt, when they had been rescued from slavery. And God says, I'll be with you. Do not be afraid. My Holy Spirit dwells among you. Do not be afraid. Take courage. Your ability to live the Christian life and to face trials and temptations is not on your strength. The Apostle Paul said at one stage, when I am weak, then I am strong. When do you turn to God to pray? When you feel weak. When do you rely most on him? When you feel you're not up to the task. And that's the strong place to be. He says, and this is remarkable given that it's the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. You know, we know that after Pentecost, our experience of the Holy Spirit is much more personal than they had in the Old Testament. But here he's saying, I am with you, my spirit is with you. You know, as they went about the task of building the temple, there were other nations who did not want them to succeed. There was opposition. And all throughout the Old Testament, there's always grumbling among God's people. So leadership for people like Moses and in any day was difficult because of the grumbling. But he says, fear not. I am with you. I think he says, fear not, because they, they're tempted to doubt him. That's when God tells us not to fear when we're tempted to think he won't be with us. I am with you, he says. And, and I want you to notice something. In these verses, you'll see that if you're reading the English Standard Version, it says the Lord of hosts, or the New International Version says the Lord Almighty. But the literal translation that's used again and again and again and again in Haggai is Yahweh, Jehovah of armies. Jehovah of armies. He's saying, I'm strong. The God who is with us is strong. The God who is with us is stronger than anything that we face. The God who is with us is the God of armies. And with him on our side, we do not need to fear. Because he will do it. Our task you know, often young people in particular will say, I'm trying to figure out the will of God in my life. Well, Paul at one stage says, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. In other words, that you become holy. And the irony is we spend all our time worrying about lesser things. Should I marry? Who should I marry? What job should I take? Where should I live? Those are far less important than God's will that we be holy. That's what our obsession is to be, to become more like the beautiful person of Jesus. When I was looking at this passage too, I thought of a beautiful picture of when the people, the, the, they rely on the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. It's one of my favorite pictures in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4. And what happens is that Peter and John, they get taken in by the religious authorities who threatened them. 
You must not speak about Jesus anymore. What I love in that passage is it actually says that the, the authorities, with all their education, look at these men and it says they noticed that they were ordinary men who had been with Jesus. That was the, the key to why these men were different. That's the key to how we become different, by spending time with Jesus. There were ordinary men who had been with Jesus and they say, you must not speak about him anymore. You must shut your mouth. They said, we can't do that. And then they go back to the church and they, they report on all the threats. And I think the people must have felt terrified, but what do they do? They pray to the God Almighty. They pray to the God in heavens. And the place where they are is shook. And then what do they do? They speak the word of God boldly with courage because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. It's when we realize that we can't do it on our own that is when we're strong. When we give up on our own strength, that is when we are going to be courageous. When we don't know the way forward, that is when we're going to pray. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't worry when you feel weak. And finally, don't worry that you feel ordinary. I don't know if you feel ordinary or below ordinary. I think there's areas where some of us are strong and areas where there are some of us are weak. I know that it, there are parts of my life where I feel very inadequate. Don't worry about it. God loves to use ordinary things. That was the picture here. This temple that they're building on looks nothing compared to what went before it. It looks ordinary. And yet, verse 9, look at this. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. In other words, what God does is he takes ordinary things and ordinary people like you and me, and he brings his purposes through it. Not in a way that makes us somehow extraordinary in this life. No, we will probably all be seen as ordinary, will always feel inadequate, but he's bringing something glorious out of it. And when you see this, you see a principle that works right throughout the Bible. This is the principle of the cross. This is the principle of the gospel. 500 years after these words, an ordinary-looking teenage couple would walk into the temple with their baby. A baby. And that ordinary-looking couple were poor. They presented their offering at the dedication, and it was the offering of turtle doves, which was the offering for poor people. They were a poor, forlorn, ordinary couple. And then we read about this child, that this child had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He tells us at one stage, Jesus does, that he had no home. He was homeless. He lived off the generosity of other people. He wasn't trained by the great rabbis of his day. He had no family. He had no wife. He had no children. So many of the things that we spend all our time worrying about meant nothing to him. 
And then, around the age of 30 years old, he was rejected, spat at, mocked, and pinned to a cross naked. Ordinary. Unimpressive. Even shameful. Because the crucifixion was a shameful way to die. And yet out of this ordinary will come a greater glory. Think of how, I I must admit, I don't fully understand how this prophecy comes true in Haggai's day. Because what happens in Old Testament prophecies is you're sort of immediate fulfillment and then the direction in which pointing, which goes through Jesus all the way to heaven. Not sure how this was fulfilled. I know that 15 years later the temple was completed. But I know the direction in which this points. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 14, literally says, He, the Word, Jesus, came and tabernacled amongst us, dwelt amongst us. He was the temple, according to John 2. From this beginning, God had a plan that would lead to the person of Jesus and his beauty. And from him comes glory the risen, ascended Jesus. And then there's the glory. This goes all the way to the book of Revelation. Listen to these words in Revelation chapter 21. And I saw no temple in the city, for the temple is the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb. Revelation 21, verse 22. And then verse 24, by its light, the nations will walk And the kings of the earth will bring their glory to it. That's language that's picked up from Haggai because you see there the kings coming to the temple. And so from something very insignificant, God has a plan that leads to glory. And from our insignificant, ordinary lives, God brings things that are glorious. How? From our prayers, I was really encouraged this week in my Bible study because there was one verse, it was 2 Corinthians, and he talked about what God achieves through our prayers. He said, help me with your prayers. Who knows what God is bringing about as you pray? Who knows what God is bringing about as you love and as you forgive? Who knows what God is bringing about as you speak and live for him in this world. And you'll probably never be anything than ordinary, and I'll never be anything than ordinary in this life, and yet I promise you that everything that we Jesus will have an eternal weight to it. Everything we do that we do for Jesus will matter for all eternity in heaven. Our homes won't be there, our cars won't be there, we won't be bringing our CV or our degrees. But everything that we've done for Jesus will somehow result in glory in heaven. He brings from the ordinary something spectacular. And before I draw a conclusion, I just want to focus on the last words here about the temple, the last words in the reading, really important. And in this place, 
I will give peace. Do you feel peace? The word shalom means wellness, wholeness. Are we enjoying that peace? I have an anxious temperament. But God offers us peace. Some of you have a guilty conscience. I even said this morning, I, I, I shouldn't say this, I, I did something yesterday, I was, I was praying and I thought, God, you're, you're happy about that. But there's so many things in my life that I'm sure you're not happy about. And yet God gives us peace. He says, I do not condemn you. I am with you. Do not be afraid. I delight over you. You are mine. I have made you perfect even though you are imperfect. And it's through this place because in that temple there were sacrifices. Animals dying as a substitute saying that sin deserved death. But a substitute dies. And then Hebrews chapter 12 tells us it couldn't be goats or bulls that pay for our sin. They can't do it. It was all pointing to Jesus who dies for us as our substitution so that we could be at peace. Have you allowed yourself come before God and say, I've broken so many things. I've failed so many times. I feel so inadequate. But you promise me peace. I feel like I can't change, but you've given me the Holy Spirit. Peace. Let's finish. I thought I'd finish with a, a picture, uh, an illustration of this worked out. God using what seemed unimpressive to bring about something that will have loads of glory. And I read this story in a book. And, and in this book, um, it was about a Soviet pastor. So it's the 1970s Soviet Union, a Russian pastor, and it was his mother. And, and this Russian pastor, whose name I, I can't pronounce, um, his mother, who was in her 90s, got ill. But she rang him up or got in contact with him and said, I'm not ready to go yet because I don't feel that my work here on this earth is finished. So he went and prayed with her and miraculously she recovered. The doctor had said, your, your mother has 48 hours to live, but, but from that day she lived longer. She lived a, a couple of more years. And then in a couple of years' time, this woman in the 90s, in her 90s, she got ill again, and this time she got in, in contact with her son, and he says, I'm ready to go home. Don't pray for me to be healed. And she died that day. And in her possession, they found a prayer list. 500 people she prayed for every day. Who knows? through that ordinary, elderly widow, through something so unimpressive, what glory there will be in heaven through those prayers. Amen. We're going to pray. And then after our last, it is our last hymn, isn't it? 
after our last hymn, what I want you to do, and you can come up at any stage during this hymn, I've been trying to think of ways that we can respond to the teaching. And what we're going to do is Kareem, myself, now Mike is actually on that drummy type thing, so uh, Elijah, Dr. Elijah there, and Elijah from Zambia uh, is going to come forward, and Sarah from Peru, who also had her first Munster match yesterday. The four of us are going to stand at the front, and what I want you to think about during the hymn, and come up when you're ready, we'll try to do this quite quickly, you don't have to come by the way, this is not something you must do. But think of ways in which you feel